0: Turning your Bibles to Psalm 32, we'll be looking at that this morning. As I uh, was thinking about ways to introduce this, um, I was reminded of just going to my my dad's office when I was a little kid, and he had something there at his office that I I never saw anywhere else, and it was right over by the coffee pot. It was this little box with just white cubes, sugar cubes pure sugar, and you could get one of those things, you know, I'd sneak over there when nobody was looking, throw one of those in my mouth, okay, we're confessing this morning, maybe more than one, and there just, nothing was sweeter than, I don't know, do they still make that, those sugar, do people still eat pure sugar, I'm going to sign up, you know, it was sweet, it was wonderful, sweetest thing I ever tasted, I was trying to think through reconciliation, and that was the thought in my head. It's the sweetest thing I know. I know it sounds corny, but there's a physical sweetness as well as a spiritual sweetness that comes to us through reconciliation. And those who really get it, those who really know it, I think will join me in testifying it really is the best thing the sweetest thing that we know. Sometimes maybe the best way to explain something is to say what it's not. I remember a a man coming to me and he said, Preacher, I don't think I will go to hell when I die. He says, I think I'm living in hell right now. Now there was a lot of theologically wrong stuff about what he was saying, but I didn't argue. Because I knew that he was going through Separation and divorce, and I knew he was in pain. I knew he was in agony. I knew there was no joy in his life. Going through separation and a divorce is a hellish experience. It's the time when you don't you don't feel like there's there's any mercy. There's no grace, um, and hell is a time where we are removed from the mercy and the grace the tenderness of god if you can get that back if you and it was this guy who was sharing this with me thankfully did reconcile with his wife and they got back together and then it was one of those sweet times and that's the way it is in our relationship with god we we're born going to hell we're born out of a saving relationship with god and, and if we can be brought into his tenderness and his mercy if we can know that we're going to die and we're not going to be in hell we're not going to be at that place where god gets angry and the wrath of god is poured out upon us we're going to be at a place of sweetness of tenderness of kindness of mercy of grace when you begin to realize the comprehensiveness of being saved and redeemed you begin to see you know it's sweet it's really sweet and i want us to Get a sense of that this morning as we look at Psalm 32, this whole passage on reconciliation with God. It begins with this word, how blessed is he. You know, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that says, blessed is the man of God. This, I think, perhaps is one of the chief blessings we have with God. It's this blessedness that comes through reconciliation. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, You know, when you stop to think about that, the sin that should cause our death, the sin that should cause our going to hell, it's covered. It's forgiven. It's dealt with. We need to get a grip on how precious that is, how blessed it is, is to be in that particular situation, um, to not be under judgment, to not be under God's wrath. Verse 2, How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Again, perhaps the best way to see this is to see what it's not. Look with me at Luke chapter 16, the testimony of a rich man on this subject. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. It there Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple, fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Don't miss a description, because you may be that person, You know people like that. I talk with these kind of people. I say, you know, you're you're living the dream. You get to wake up, put on a choice of clothes, whatever you really want, and you get to choose joy today. I said, that's the dream. That's the American dream, and you get to live it. It's pretty exciting that you can really afford to do whatever you want to do, and you just get to go do it. Well, that's this guy. He's the rich man. He gets to dress the way he wants to dress, joyously living in splendor every day. Verse. Jump down to verse 23. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being, comfort, being in comfort here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Stop right there and think about this. You know, The rich man is he's in agony in Hades. And he's begging for just a drop of cool water. And he's told that that's not going to happen. And he says, well, if it's not going to happen, I got five brothers. They haven't died yet. They don't need to come here. This is misery. He says, send them this message. And Abraham responds, they got a Bible. They got a bible they can read it sometimes we don't see the value of this this is the word that leads us from death to life and abraham says they got a bible do we pick it up do we read it do we go from death to life abraham says they have moses and the prophets that's their bible let them hear verse 30 but he said no father abraham But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I don't need you to read them the Bible. I need you to go from death back to them. And the answer was, verse 31, But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't pay attention to their Bible, they will not be persuaded, even if someone goes to them from the dead. Here we have a rich man giving us counsel from Hades, and he says they need To repent he got it that perhaps if somebody came from the dead and spoke to them they would repent they would deal with their sin how blessed it is to have a man's sin dealt with and covered and forgiven and not imputed against them that's what the rich man was saying I'm in misery I'm in agony because I did not deal with my sin. I didn't repent. I didn't turn from it. I had a choice every day, and I chose to just live for me. And I never dealt with my sin. How blessed it is to be reconciled, to not go to Hades, to not go to hell, to not have sin imputed, to not have sin undealt with. That's what Psalm 32 is, is, is all about. It's the blessing of somebody not hiding their sin, um, but dealing with it. Give you another illustration. You you remember Copernicus, right? We're all familiar with the Copernican Revolution. You know, before, and Copernicus was just a good mathematician. Before he showed showed up, we thought we were the center of the world. The world was geocentric as far as we knew. Everything revolved around us. We thought, you know, we saw the sun come up in the morning. It must be just going around us. Goes down at night. We're the center. Copernicus did the math and said, no, nah, that can't be happening. Just it wouldn't work. What wouldn't work mathematically for him. So he, he came up with this idea. No, I think the earth rotates on its axis and as the earth rotates the sun is sitting still and then the earth and other planets are going in an orbit around the sun and he said so it's not geocentric it's heliocentric and it was a revolution known as the copernican revolution and it's changed our world well that wasn't the most significant thing Copernicus did, or said, or understood, or knew. And you get the most significant thing when you look at his tombstone. wonder what this smart guy who became famous and rich and wealthy could do it all. What would he want on his tombstone? He wanted to declare something as they laid him to rest right by his wife. And I wrote it down. This is what Copernicus wrote. He says, I put this on my tombstone. I do not seek a kindness equal to that given Paul. Nor do I ask for the grace granted to Peter. But that forgiveness which thou didst grant to the robber, that earnestly I crave. Think about that. Your math teacher already told you that, right? Why don't math teachers tell us the good stuff? Here's this famous household name. And he said, The this, this most significant thing I could have on earth is to have the forgiveness the thief on the cross had. That's what I want. I want to be Forgiven of my sins. I want to be one whose sin is not imputed to his account. How blessed it would be to just be forgiven. Do we get how significant that really is? The thief on the cross hears these wonderful words, today you will be with me in paradise. Because your sins are forgiven, you won't be in hell. Hades. You won't be in misery but you'll be transferred to a blessed life. That's Psalm 32. It's blessed. Blessed to have transgressions forgiven iniquity no longer imputed. Are you hearing that message today? I hope you hear it from King David as he writes Psalm 32. I hope you hear it from Copernicus. I hope you hear it from me. There's nothing better than than to be reconciled. Yes, David was a sinner. Copernicus was a sinner. I'm a sinner. But I want to get beyond sin to reconciled. There's so much talk today, even from churches where you want the preacher just to talk to you about his sin. I think you know I messed up, and I have messed up, and I do messed up. I want to get us beyond talking about sin to being blessed, to being reconciled. Yes, I'm a sinner, but the most significant thing about me is I am saved. I am blessed. I've been transformed. I'm on a path of obedience and holiness. Follow me. This is the good life, it's not being stuck back here in sin. It's moving forward in the holiness of grace. That's the blessed life of no longer having the sin to just constantly deal with, realizing Christ really has dealt with it. And he's moving us forward. Yes, there's lots we have to do, but we have such a blessed, wonderful life. How do you get there? Well, let's look back at Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin my body wasted away though my groaning all day long through my groaning all day long that's why I said it's not just a spiritual sweetness when i was using that corny sugar cube illustration there's a physical side of it too reconciliation gives me a physical well-being that i did not have until sin was dealt with there's a physical blessing as well as a huge spiritual blessing. He says, my body was wasting away. I was groaning. The physical pain comes through sin, not just spiritual separation and lack of mercy from God. Verse 4, for day and night your your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fe- fever heat a summer, we all know what it is like at times just to be drained, to be exhausted, to be weak, to have no energy. And sometimes it's not just because you're eating the wrong foods or drinking the wrong drink. It's because God's hand is upon us because we're keeping silent about our sin, uh, wasting away. Why? What's the reason? Don't miss verse 3. First few words, why are you in this condition? You open your mouth for so many other things. Why don't you open your mouth for this? Confess sin. So as long as I kept silent about my sin, I wasted away. I remember this preacher who came to my house years ago. He was from Charleston, and he had, was living in an, an adulterous affair very conservative pastor one of those people i would consider a rock very reformed very doctrinal but he was in this affair and he finally confessed it but he didn't confess it until he was in the hospital didn't confess it until the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with him he said i think he's got a blood disease all we know is he's wasting away he's gonna die And in that condition, he said, I need to come clean. I need to confess that I have another lady on the side. And it's been going on over a year that I'm living in an adulterous relationship. His wife already knew it. Confessed it to his church. They pretty much already knew it. He confessed it to God. God already knew it. The problem was not that people didn't know about his sin. The problem was, verse 3, I kept silent. The problem was he did not confess it. He didn't see that he was physically wasting away. He was spiritually wasting away because he was refusing to deal with his sin. That may be your condition. Now, I've written a paper on it. You've read it. I've preached on it. There's at least 12 reasons why you may be going through a trial besides sin, okay? So I'm not saying every time you're losing energy, wasting away, it's because of sin. There are times when it's not because of sin. But this one time in Psalm 32, it's very clear. The reason he was physically losing energy and drained The reason he was spiritually in a mess was because of sin. And there's times that's the only reason in our life too. So You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit right now. Are you in your condition you're in because you simply have refused to confess sin? Now I'm not saying you have to tell me. I'm not saying you have to tell the world. There's someone you have to tell. You may have to You definitely have to tell God. And you may have to tell one other person. I don't know who all that is. It depends on that sin. But are you keeping silent? Are you not being honest? Are you not dealing with the sin? And as a result of not dealing with it, you're headed to more and more misery. You're compounding misery. And your problem is neglect. You know you need to confess and you're not doing it. You're maintaining. You are maintaining a miserable existence. It's not just happening to you. You're maintaining it. God says because you're keeping silent about your sin. You need to confess it. God promises misery without confession. Day and night says God's hand was heavy upon me. Is there some sin you're not dealing with? It's a silent sin. You don't want to talk about it. And yet it's draining you. I know there are people who say to me, you know, I don't know why this is happening. Well, if you don't know why, then maybe there's a sin. Have you gone before God and say, God showed me my sin? What is the sin? God's not going to hide it from you. Problem is, you you know what it is, you just don't want to confess it. One of the silent sins that we face today in our culture is not loving your wife, not submitting to your husband. Nobody gets to see it. It just happens in your home. Your husband already knows it. Your wife already knows it. Your kids already know it. But you're not confessing it. How about the sin of gaming on the Internet? Some people say, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. Let me look at your surfing record, the times you're surfing on the Internet, see if that argument holds up how many hours do you spend surfing saying god i don't have time for you how about the sin of pornography some of you are spending two three four hours a day or more looking at stuff that's taking you away from god and away from faithfulness to christ and your family and you're staying in silence. It, nobody knows. Nobody will see. Nobody understands. And you're maintaining this miserable existence because you will not confess your sin to God and to others. And it's draining you when you could have such a blessed existence. So I encourage you. The Spirit is convicting you. Yes, this is sin. And I should have confessed by now. And it really is messing me up. I could have so much more joy. And so much more assurance. So much more comfort. So much more ministry. If I would just deal with this sin and I know it. So, What that sin is, I'm going to encourage you to confess it. To deal with it. Because there's misery without reconciliation. If your God's hand is heavy upon you here. It will also be heavy upon you. In hell. What we want is for God to remove his hand from us. And put it on Christ. And let us go free. And that happens when we say Christ I need your mercy. Your grace. I need you to forgive me. Cleanse me. From all my sin. Which is where the psalmist goes. Verse 5. Psalm 32. I acknowledged my sin to you. That's where you start. Tell God. You can do it right where you are. Pray. I acknowledge my sin to you Lord. And my iniquity I did not hide. This is coming clean. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone, I mean, if it worked for me, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. What's he saying there? Pray to God in a time where he may be found. He can be found right here today, right now. This is the day of salvation. You can find him. He's here. But if you wait, it says this flood of great waters, you wait till it's really bad. It's like you're getting swallowed up with trial and temptation and problems, and then you want to cry out, uh-uh, you're not going to find him then. He says, you need to do it now while while he's speaking to you. Don't say, well, I'm going to take it to the last moment. Maybe I can escape then. He says, no, that's, that's not the way it happens. That's not sincerity. That's running your life. That's obedience the way you want to. That's not Godly obedience. Acknowledge your sin. Look at, um, you know, people say, well, before we do jump there, people say Psalm 32 was probably written right after, uh, like Psalm 51, right after David committed uh, murder, Uriah, right after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Well, it wasn't written right after. Because Bathsheba, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, she became pregnant. And he wasn't confronted with his sin until that pregnancy went full term and there was a baby born. So we're into nine months to twelve months, somewhere in there. The baby's alive at this point when David deals with his sin, and I think that's when this is written, Psalm 32. He says, "I went that whole year of misery. I knew I I messed up. I committed murder." I committed adultery, and God's hand was heavy upon me. Who was going to confront me? I was the king. I was in charge. I was was rich. I could do whatever I wanted. But God's hand was heavy upon me, and I just started wasting away. My vitality. I I woke up in the morning, and I didn't have any energy anymore. David said, I finally got it. That I needed to do business with God. I needed to confess. He says, so when I acknowledged my sin, that changed everything. And God worked a work in my life. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what I was always taught was the Christian's bar soap. Maybe that helps you remember it too. 1 John 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we acknowledge our sins, if we confess, confess means to agree with God. If you go before God and you say, God, I agree, your Ten Commandments are still the moral standard, and I have broken them. I've not been. All in, worship per review, first commandment. I have not been worshiping in the way you want me to, verse second commandment. I've not lived a holy life, third commandment. Profanity just comes out of my mouth. Fourth commandment, I haven't given you your day. Fifth commandment, I've not honored authority like mom and dad and all the authority you've put over me. We acknowledge this sixth commandment. Uh, I murder. I don't treat people as made in your image. I get angry at people and I want to see them die. That's murder. Seventh commandment, adultery. I look at pornography and I I don't honor the marriage you created. Eighth commandment. Lord, I take stuff from people. It's all about me. I steal. Ninth commandment. Lord, I'm not about the truth. I'm about getting ahead. Sometimes you got to do a little lying. And then the 10th commandment. I'm not content with what I have. I want what you've got. Don't covet. Do we go before God with God's standard and say, God, I agree with you. That's still the standard. And so every time I break the standard, I sin. I acknowledge my sin to you. I agree with you, you're right, I'm wrong. Please fix it. Take away my sin. Forgive, notice what he forgives in 1 John 1.9. 9 didn't say forgave the sin, he forgave you, he forgives us. The sin, there may be consequences, there may be things that have to be dealt with, but he forgives us. And he begins to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness, so that we don't stay in that sin. But his his job is to make us holy, to cleanse us from that sin. Look at Second Corinthians, one my favorite verse, Second Corinthians five twenty one. You see the wonderful exchange. He made him, so this is God the Father, making him that's God the Son, Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, imperfect illustration, but this is us and we're sin. There's nothing on this stack but sin. This is Christ. There's nothing on this stack but righteousness. He made him who knew no sin, nothing here but righteousness, Knows no sin. To be sin. So he takes this sin and puts it over here on Christ. He made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Takes Christ's righteousness and puts it over here in him. What a wonderful exchange. He forgives us So that now when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, credited to us, on us. He sees all of our sin credited and imputed to Jesus. So Christ receives our hell and our damnation. We receive his righteousness and all the reward that comes with that. Why would you not acknowledge your sin? That's what you get. That's the exchange. It's so blessed. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just, just putting it on Christ, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful, magnificent plan God has. He's promised to give us righteousness in Christ Which is where David goes, verse 7 of Psalm 32. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. When you get that wonderful exchange, you get nothing but just joy of being forgiven. What joy. Um, There's no reason why we shouldn't deal with sin right now. There's no reason why we shouldn't deal with sin every day. And then we can sing songs of deliverance. One of my favorite songs, the, the old hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his, blood, in his day, and there may I, though vilest he, wash all my sins away. Do you have a song of deliverance? One said, Lord, it's so good when you take away my sin. It's just that freedom of knowing, I don't have to pay for it, you pay for it. You forgive me, and you let me walk free. It's, it's such a, a, such joy, such a, I call it the merriment of reconciliation. And then it leads you to ministry. Verse 8 to the end of Psalm 32 is just ministry. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you. It's like Dale said, you went from being this sinner to being an instructor in holiness. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding whose trappings include a bit and a bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, you know, they don't, they don't follow directions. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. It's pretty easy. It's like verse 8, listen. Uh, Verse 9, don't be foolish like you need direction. You've got it. Verse 10, choose to enjoy God's love. Trust in Him. Verse 11, you know, shout. Tell others to come with you to Christ. You know, I... When I see phrases like this in the Bible, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart, I'm thinking, when do we do that? How do we do that? Somebody tells you to shout for joy, you say, ah! I don't know what's involved in that. I don't either. But I'm going to give you an opportunity. How about this? I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. I mean, that's, that's exciting. And we need, we need to get a, a, a sense of that, to, to wake up and say, I don't have to live in the misery of my sin today. I am redeemed. Rejoice in that and share that. That's the good news That we share with others. Not that you're in trouble and I'm in trouble. But no, I'm I'm redeemed out of trouble. And where I'm headed and where I've been is so different. And I want you to have that as well. I I put down just three kind of applications. Number one, be reconciled to God by trusting his redeeming love to escape misery. Be reconciled. If you're not reconciled, do it now, right here, today. Be reconciled to God. Trust his redeeming love that's going to allow you to escape from misery. That's what you want. Um, If you're not singing with joy, then maybe you need to start confessing sin. You're not being honest and truthful. You're not acknowledging your sin. Come up with what that is and acknowledge. Deal with God. The only way to forgiveness is to confess sin. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just. What are you waiting for? Do you want to be a stupid horse or mule? Like, you, you can't follow directions? If we confess our sins, he will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So be reconciled. Number two, be an instructor. Verse eight, I'll instruct others. I don't mind telling other people that this beggar found bread. This beggar found forgiveness. This beggar found reconciliation. I don't mind telling you that my life is different, that I have passions I never dreamed of for holiness and righteousness and worship. Be an instructor. Tell other people the good that God has given to us. You remember Second Corinthians five twenty one. That that whole theme, uh, as it builds to to that verse, Second Corinthians five twenty one. That's the one I read a minute ago. It said he who uh, knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But go back and read just a little bit before that. Second Corinthians five. It tells us this ministry we have of being instructors. It says, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. The whole new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's, that's our ministry. To tell other people, there's this sweet thing that you can have, and that's reconciliation with God. That God is in the world, in Christ, to reconcile us to himself. He wants to make him who knew no sin to be our sin, and us who knows nothing but sin to be his righteousness. Instruct them. Let others know that goodness as ambassadors of reconciliation. Number three, be rejoicing. Praise God for our reconciliation. Do it in his presence. Do it in the presence of others. I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now. Let's pray together. Father Let us not move too quickly. Let us not say this is the nice sermon I appreciate it. But Lord, let us say God spoke to me today. Lord, whatever sins you're you're confronting brothers and sisters with here in this room. Father, may they acknowledge those sins. May they deal with those sins. Some of us close by, we know the misery they're in. We know they're not dealing with sin. You know they're not dealing with sin. And yet they think they can continue that way. Father, grant them the ability to turn right now where they are, to acknowledge that to you in their heart, to confess their sin, to be given forgiveness. And whether it's a spouse, a parent, a worker, to acknowledge it to someone else that needs to know they are going to be different, they're going to be new, they're going to be reconciled, they're going to be instructors instead of misery livers. Lord, I just pray that you would give them that power and that ability and that we would leave this morning as those cleansed, as those made right with God. Father, make us right with you. Grant us that blessed condition of being reconciled, we beg of you, Lord. It's not a work which we can do apart from your Spirit. So, O oh Spirit of God, Convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.